coming to you from beautiful Santa Barbara, California. Promoting peace, healthy living, and happiness. It's the Peace Podcast with host Barbara Gon Mueller. What a way to begin a peace podcast, a conversation with one of the noted peacemakers on our planet. Today, you're going to meet Helen Peacock. I had the privilege of meeting Helen Peacock last week on an international Rotary Women Seminar. 300 plus women and men from all over the world talking about positive peace talking about the fact that we might be able to solve our problems without violence. We might even be able to solve some of our global problems without wars. Well, as I listened to Helen Peacock, who you will get to meet in a moment, I realized she has a plan, not just a theory. She has a peace plan that I think we could implement. Her PowerPoint alone should be a book. She is incredible the way she put together the facts and the figures that will show that in reality, if we get rid of, as the UN says, the nuclear weapons and get rid of the possibility, the prohibition for nuclear weapons, it is amazing the money that we will have for programs that will end starvation, that will end people having to look for a way to support their family. I mean, there's just so much that we can do. So without further ado, let me give you a couple of moments to just consider this great Helen Peacock. She's the founder of Pivot to Peace, a local peace group in Ontario, Canada, which is part of a newly formed Canadian-wide peace and justice network. She's passionate about peace. You're going to find that out not only inner peace, but world peace since her early 20s. She's the chapter coordinator for World Beyond War, and I just spoke with them last week and loved it. She's a global movement. She has a global movement, which is World Beyond War, to end all wars, which has members in 190 countries around the world. And she's a Rotarian who served as district peace chair and is currently the peace chair for the Rotary Club of Kalinga, South Georgia Bay, Georgian Bays. Did I say that right? You Helen. did. You did. The Helen. Rotary Club of Collingwood, South Georgian Bay. Helen, I want to thank you for giving us your time today, for giving us your passion for peace, and for making it possible for us to give avenues that we too can be on this peace plan that you have. So why don't you tell us, and did I leave something out of your bio? No, not at all. That was wonderful. Thank you. You're so welcome. Well, you know, you've already been a, you've been a peace activist most of your life. You were a peace activist when you joined Rotary, and I'm so delighted you're a Rotarian. Would you tell us a little bit about your personal journey that drew you to the work for peace? What's your personal journey? This is great. I have actually been reflecting on that. I had a feeling you would ask that question. And um, I would say that I was programmed with the seeker gene. I'm going to call it the seeker gene. And I had this inner need to understand myself, to peel off the layers of the onion and figure out who I really was and why I reacted the way I did to understand other people and to understand consciousness too. So I was really engaged in my 20s and onward in um, the personal growth, spiritual growth movement. And that was my passion. 
but I was also identified as a math prodigy when I was in high school and the scholarships lined up and I ended up with an undergraduate degree in math and physics and a master's in computer science and the, the job, the red carpet was laid out for me and I was working in large, very conservative organizations by day and I ended up in one of the world's largest banks. So the culture around me at work was so completely different. It was a complete disconnect with the passion that I had for the personal spiritual growth side of things. And eventually the disconnect got so strong and I had to persuade my husband to take a leap in faith and let me go, let me leave. And I left the corporate world and I was kind of, you know, exploring where I would go next. And I ended up forming my own company called Turning Point. And what I did, Barbara, was I took everything that I had been learning from a personal growth, spiritual growth point of view, including the Enneagram, which is a way of understanding personality according to your inner experience, not your outer behavior. I see that you're familiar with it. And I took all of that and I translated it. I'm a past president of the International Enneagram Association. So I translated that into corporate language, into language that would be acceptable in a corporate environment. And I started giving leadership and team building workshops for corporate groups, which was fantastic. I loved it. I would have them come in, you can imagine, kind of like this and thinking, oh, my God, you know, this is going to be ugh, touchy feely stuff. And they would leave absolutely elated um, by the insights and the awareness and the understanding that they hadn't imagined um, it was it was it was transformation their eyes were opened is what you're saying right their eyes were opened exactly and i was i was on, in heaven i loved what i was doing um when my husband retired we moved to collingwood and my daughter took over the business and she was actually a consultant at deloitte so she knew whereof she spoke and she was kind of wearing both hats um, and in Collingwood, I was still involved with hospice. I've done hospice work my whole life, yeah. which I find very grounding from a spiritual point of view. Um, so I was still involved with hospice, but I was looking for what my next big challenge was going to be. And I, I heard the voice within say kind of, well, duh, Helen, it's peace. And of course it was peace. And I started exploring the peace movement more directly. I'd been in and out of it for years. And I went to a conference by World Beyond War and their mission to abolish the institution of war, not this war or that war or this weapon or that weapon, the very institution of war resonated for me. This is what I wanted to do. And to do that, we have to turn around and look at the consciousness behind the structures and the systems and the consciousness behind what has allowed us to have 250 wars since the end of the Second World War and has allowed us to get to the place where two trillion taxpayer dollars a year worldwide are going into war and the preparations for war. And we have to be looking at that from a big picture point of view, as well as the various other activities we're involved in. So as you said, I became a chapter coordinator for World Beyond War. I helped them with a, a number of their conferences. I've done a number of talks for them. Um, and I became a very, I started my own peace group and became a very, um, uh, a strong peace activist. I'm trying, you know, it's, I'm, I'm trying to figure out something here because I too have been a peacemaker. My grandfather told me at three I was going to be a peacemaker because he had immigrated from Hungary to avoid World War One when the coffin maker was hiring, you know, piling up the coffins. And he said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm piling up these coffins because we're going to need them. The war is coming." Well, he said, "I have, will have nothing to do with war. I will leave today." And he literally got on the next boat with five dollars in his 
his pocket or whatever the Hungarian money was and went to the United States and Ellis Island was his home for a while. And, and when I was moving from Denver to Colorado, Denver, Colorado to San Diego, and I was sitting with grandpa, this was a few years after we got there because he had immigrated in the early 1900s, you know, before World War I. And long story short, I have always had this DNA, I'm gonna be a peacemaker. And my life has permitted me to be a peacemaker. And when you have a voice for peace, you have to use it. And that's what I'm hearing you do. Now, you, were a, you had a mission to encourage Rotary to play a bigger role in shifting our consciousness to a planet of peace. Tell me about that. How can we do that? Um, when I first joined Rotary, I imagined all kinds of synergies between the work with World Beyond War and peacemaking within Rotary. And I discovered that, um, in fact, within Rotary circles, we don't talk about war. Per se. We don't, it's like we have a collective amnesia for the fact that there have been 250 wars since the Second World War. And we're not paying attention to the, the trillions of dollars that are going into war. We know from the Institute of Peace and Economics that every dollar that goes into militarism is $3 outside of the peace economy, take, is, is subtracted from the peace economy. So we have to be paying attention to that. We're not going to be able to keep up otherwise. And I felt that um, I felt a bit disillusioned in terms of what I could do within Rotary. But then I started to explore what Rotary was doing internationally with the beauty of Zoom. I could go to all these peace conferences. I had so many poignant moments, one in particular between a conference put on by a club in um, Pakistan and a club in India, two nuclear powered countries with a disputed border between them. And they were looking at ways in which they could diffuse the tension. I, I was amazed. We read all about the problem of Russia in the, in the Western media, and I take that with a grain of salt. And yet I looked it up, Rotary has 77 clubs in Russia. This is phenomenal. And I had felt this shift inside me. I thought, well, wow, not only could Rotary be pivotal in shifting our planet to peace, Rotary could actually perhaps even be the tipping point in making that happen. And the way I see Rotary doing that is by continuing all of the positive peace initiatives it's doing, but also taking a stand to end war. That's amazing. I love what you said that Rotary could be the tipping point. We do have 35,000 clubs. We do have millions of members. Yeah. And if I felt that Rotary could be the tipping point, that would be the conversation starter at every single meeting and every single person I meet. Yes. Yes, we know from the research of Dr. Erica Chenoweth, I don't know whether you've heard of her, she's at Harvard University. She says only 3.5% of the population has to develop a new awareness for consciousness to shift and that awareness to be available for everyone. So we have to go for 3.5% and we can shift our planet. Wow, that's the same number that I got when I did my talk for World Without War. Um, and he said, if they have 3.5% of the United States military budget, we could end world hunger. 3.5% is very phenomenal that this is exactly what it would take to bring us to a world of peace, possibly, and tip that, tip that move, our little, what do you want to say, our radar to the peace movement, because I am going to help you do that. Now, you know, we talk about peace, and I think it's something that people, they accept war. They honor war, unfortunately, and they, they honor the heroes. Pardon? They tolerate it. Tolerate is the word I was searching for. They tolerate war. And, 
you have a plan, a plan that might tell us in a different scenario, an unfolding way we could bring peace to our planet. Why don't you spend a few minutes on that? That is exciting to me because people love to think that they have a plan that they can follow, a way to go from here to there. Well, dare I have the temerity to suggest that what Rotary International could do is endorse the Treaty for the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Now, let me just talk about that for a sec. First of all, there are a number of Rotarians. There's about 30 core Rotarians and about 500 worldwide who have been working for this for a number of years under the leadership of Richard Denton and others to make this happen. So that's number one. Number two, the treaty has been, in, has been ratified now. It's law for the countries who have signed it. And when we do polls all around the world, 70 to 80% of the population worldwide support the treaty. So we've got the, we've got the population of the planet behind us on this. And number three, I think we should consult the scientists. We did for the pandemic. And the reason why they've left the doomsday clock at 100 seconds to midnight is their concern over the accelerating nuclear arms race. And if they're concerned about it, we should be concerned about it and we should be taking a stand. So this is what we would like to suggest we do. And I, I think many people are going to respond perhaps with a hmm. But that's political, isn't it? Rotary can't get involved politically. And my answer to that is, I don't think so. Because I invite you to read Rotary magazine in February of this year about how Rotary eradicated polio in Africa. And you will find that they faced four major challenges. And the strategies that they used to overcome these challenges were all political including my personal favorite, the fact that most of these governments couldn't care less about, many of these governments couldn't care less about polio eradication. It wasn't on their radar screen. It wasn't a, a priority. And what individual Rotarians did in these countries is use their personal cachet to advocate directly with their own governments to make polio eradication a, pri a priority. And they did it brilliantly and they did it successfully. And we've already done it once and we, we can do it again. And you look at these videos of the children who are now playing with four bandages, arms, legs, and then you look at the videos of the ones who had polio playing in their wheelchair, and you realize the differences that makes in a person's life. There's so many good things that Rotary has done, but this is one that we've been nominated, as you may know, um, Sheikh Armeda is our new international president, and I met him before he took office and on a Zoom call. What would I do without Zoom, Helen? I love Zoom. I'm a Zoomer. I do, too. I do. Oh, I don't want to get in my car. I just want to talk to people on Zoom and watch their facial expressions. And long story short, he said, you know, we have to dream big. Big dreams, dream, dream, dream. And my late husband and I had the bench of dreams in Costa Rica, which allowed people to have the dream for peace, to be there. And when Ambassador from Costa Rica Medicine, the delegates lounge at the UN, she pulled out her stone that she had in her purse. She said, do you see this stone? I, I went to your bench of dreams and I dreamed that we would have a culture of peace. And in 1999, Ambassador Chadre did just that into the year 2000 we started a culture of peace now if we can do that have a culture of peace then maybe we can have peace on the planet and you heard her plan helen gave us a plan now helen you've been giving 
presentations about your plan and your idea for a peace community on the world. The whole world is a peace community. Um, what's the reception been at your talks? Um, we've had talks all around the world, Australia, Russia, India, lots of them in North America. And the reception has been incredible. It's almost like there's a wave of Rotarians at the grassroots level who are embracing this. They are really appreciating the distinction between political and partisan. It's not that Rotarians can't be political, it's that we can't be partisan. We're not choosing one government over another or, or one party over another. Um, but we can certainly appreciate and take humanitarian stands and use um, strategies to get them um, um, accepted worldwide. So the response has been amazing and, and organic. I'm gonna call it organic, Barbara, because people reach out to people and there's another, because I have three or four more already scheduled and there's another one and, and then another one. And I also think we have more support than we may realize because for example, um, Rotary International President Shekhar Mehta has signed the Japanese survivors appeal endorsing the Treaty for the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And I've gone to at least six peace conferences where he has talked and he has said things like, we really shouldn't be putting money into weapons that we can't use. We can't use them. It's not practical. It's not sensible to take our tax taxpayer dollars and do this. And he has said that. And he's also said thoughtfully in one um, um, event that maybe we could be doing more with our voice on the world stage. Maybe we could be doing more with our Rotary representatives. And yes, we could. And he says, not only think big, he says, be audacious. And <laughs> we can. I think you're going to get a whole new group of followers. The women on our planet and the men who have heard you are going to say, yes, she's right. We're going to do it. Now, what specifically should we do? I'm a Rotarian. I've been a Rotarian for a really long time. I'm a Paul Harris fellow. I'm in the Rotary E-Club of World Peace. And um, what should I do? Well, what we have done is we have put forth a resolution to the Council of Resolutions asking for Rotary International to consider endorsing the treaty. We would like to see that resolution passed by the Council of Resolutions. Now, last year, a similar resolution went forth from the group of 500 that I told you about, and it did not pass. But I do not believe that the Rotary representatives were sort of consciously rejecting the treaty. I believe they were having a kind of an unconscious robot-like, oh, that looks political, no, reaction. And so what we want to do is reach out to our Rotary representatives, let them know that this um, 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 is coming, that this resolution is coming, and engage with them in conversation thoughtfully so that we don't get that kind of automatic robot-like reaction. I know, that's an excuse that I hear a lot. Oh, that's political. Well, forget that. What are we really saying here? Are we protecting our children? Are we making sure that next generation has a world that's going to be sufficient for them to live on? We're not talking politics here. We're talking human rights, the human right to peace. And I'm going to be talking next Saturday. I'm going to do a Nelson Mandela a talk about his hope. The hope for a world that worked for all to get rid of apartheid. For 37 years, he pondered this as he sat in his jail cell and he realized that we cannot have a world that does not honor all of us, yeah. bring peace to all of us. And as I say these words to you, I realize that Shekhar is really audacious himself and I like the way he's thinking. So, what are the actions we can take now? 
So for starters, every single Rotarian can sign the Japanese Survivors Appeal. This has been organized by the chair of the Rotary Action Group for Peace Subcommittee on Nuclear Education. Right. So we start by signing that and we'll put the link in the um, comments about this podcast. That's number one. Number two, we can um, um, download a copy of the resolution. And we put a link for everybody to be able to do that and download a copy of the resolution. Um, number three, uh, we could, we put a link to one of the presentations. I think this was the one to Russia and people can access the link and watch the presentation. It's about a half an hour or give it to their members of their club or their district. And finally, if they want to have a presentation themselves, they can contact Andrish of the um, subcommittee on nuclear education and we can give them a presentation. Don't you just love it that you have such an organized way of presenting possibilities for a world that could be at peace. And I want to thank you for, I think your talk when I heard you this last Monday, I think it was, I'm not positive the date, but I do know you said world peace, pipe dream or possibility. Think about that. World peace, pipe dream or possibility. Well, if you've been listening today, you now heard that it is a possibility. And I'm not going to say possibility. My feeling is that when you put something in your mind and you see the world at peace, then you become that invisible energy that, that becomes contagious. Many people, at, I've done a lot of talks in my life, and my late husband has done over 5,000. He got the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation Prize. He got so many awards. Albert Schweitzer, you name it, he got them all. Well, why did he get him? Because he was audacious. He said, pay attention to what you can do. And that's why we had this bench of dreams in Costa Rica. What's your dream for our planet? And when I'm up there in front of people, they're saying, oh, Mrs. Mueller, oh, Dr. Mueller, you're so important. What can I do? So what are you thinking right now? What's in your mind? What are you focusing on? And the question always comes back, well, I'm focusing on something that it's kind of minor, blah, blah, blah. I said, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about peace. I'm focusing on a world that's at peace. I'm focusing on what we can do with those billions of dollars that are going to come to us. I'm focusing on plants alive and like my rose garden. My rose garden is safe. I want everybody's rose garden to be safe. I want to be able to go out and replant my zucchini seeds that just sprouted. I want to be one with the earth. I want the, everybody to have the privilege of planting olive trees that you know are going to be there for future generations. I want our world to be at one with nature, with the heavens, the universe. And, you know, what are you thinking about? Think about how beautiful this world can be. We live on a piece of property in Costa Rica for 17 years where Fide, Jose Figueres demilitarized Costa Rica. Costa Rica, perfect example of what you can do with military money. They have schools, they have health care, they have fantastic ways that they can contribute to a better world. Anyway, long story short, I am so honored, Helen, that you spent time with us today and gave us a plan that could bring peace into the reality that we need it to be. And I like the way that you said Rotarians could be the peace leaders. 35,000 clubs are a lot of people. So, Helen, do you have a dream for our planet before I say thank you, thank you, thank you? Yes, I do. I have a dream of a planet in which 
people would be horrified at the very thought of using war as a way of resolving conflict, that we approach conflict in a completely non-violent way, and I believe it's possible. I have a, a little quote from a fellow Rotarian who said, when Rotarians know the humanitarian catastrophe that nuclear weapons are, they say, I get it. When they realize there is something they can do, they say, give me a job. And I think that's, that's us. That's so beautiful. And give me a job, give me a thought, a thought that we can carry with us, that we know our grandchildren will be safe because of our efforts. We don't have to change everybody's mind, just change the people who you happen to be in their path. Help them understand that peace is a possibility. And I'm Barbara Gahn-Mueller, and you're listening to peacepodcast.org. It's about health, happiness, and healthy living, and peace, of course. And I didn't even introduce this today because I know you're going to get right into this fabulous guest, Helen, who, who brought us up to speed that we, too, can be part of the puzzle that brings peace to our planet. Thank you, Helen, again. You were just wonderful. Thank you. We've been listening to Helen Peacock. I'm Barbara Gunn Mueller saying, listen to peacepodcast.org on Spotify, on Instagram, anywhere you find peace and bring it to your friends. Thank you for joining us today. Join us every week. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.